Good morning. So uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Sam, and I have the privilege of being the youth pastor here. So we are going to be continuing uh, in a series today that we've been looking at for a few weeks now in Ephesians called In Christ. So basically, to sum up what we've been looking at, we've been looking at how when someone becomes a Christian, they are joined or they're united in Jesus, um, and that union or that joining with Jesus changes everything about us, okay? So it gives us a a totally new identity in who we are um, and what we're doing and what that means for our lives as implications across our lives. And so this morning we're going to be continuing on that. We're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 14. Okay, so can I encourage you, if you've got a Bible, to have that open um, so that you can see that what we're we're seeing is from God's Word um, and not some just random thoughts on a page. So Ephesians 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so, as we can see, Paul has been, is picking up on this, this metaphor of light and of darkness. And this is actually a metaphor that runs throughout the Bible. You know, the Bible starts um, with kind of God opening out creation with calling light into darkness. So bringing something light, being, bringing present, bringing life into that which was void and where there was nothing. Okay, so this is a theme that comes out. And Paul takes this theme and he applies it to those who are Christians, those who are in Christ, as we've been looking at. And there's three things that I think Paul is encouraging us in this morning as a result of this new identity that we have in Jesus. And the first thing is this. He's saying that we need to know who we are. We need to know who we are. And the reason that we need to know who we are is because when we know who we are, it changes what we do. Because when we, know what, when we know who we are, it changes what we do. What we think about ourselves, what we think about people, affects how we behave, how we speak, what we do. And so it is essential that we know who we are so that we can live out lives in what God has called us to be. So in verse 8, we read, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord." And what Paul is saying here isn't that we have, if you are a Christian, you've come from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, or that you've been enlightened to some truth, or that the the Bible is being illuminated and that the Holy Spirit is showing you what the Bible means. All of those things are true of the Christian, but he's not saying that. He's making an identity statement. You were darkness, you are light. You were darkness, you are light. And what Paul is talking about is the the radical, fundamental change that happens in the heart when you become a Christian, when you come to Christ, that everything about you changes. But Paul first, he kind of lays this this picture, this backdrop, first where he says, but you were darkness. To know who you are, you need to know what you first were. And again, this is an identity statement, okay? So Paul's not saying that we were living in kind of darkness or that we were doing some kind of dark stuff every now and then or having some dark thoughts. He's saying that we were ourselves darkness. 
Now, if that seems a bit over the top or a bit harsh or a bit uncomfortable, this is the way that the Bible has always spoken about a life outside of God. It is always said that fullness of life, real life, is found in God. And as a result, anything apart from that is nothing short of a tragedy. It's nothing short of something that is missing, the real elements of life and hope. And we looked a couple of weeks ago at how Paul in Ephesians says that we were spiritually dead before being made alive in Christ, that we were walking spiritual corpses. Okay, the, you know, the Bible is never, never kind of pulled punches on this, but it's always said that life is found in God, and without that life, you are darkness. And so Paul builds this argument throughout the whole of the New Testament. We see this again and again and again. So for instance, Ephesians 4.18 puts it like this, that we were darkened in our understanding and alienated from the life of God. Romans 6 that we, says that we were slaves to sin and, ab- and able to stop sinning against God and against other people. Ephesians 5.11, which we'll look at later, talks about how the works of darkness are unfruitful, which means that the most morally upright action outside of God is ultimately fruitless. And again, this is uncomfortable because actually people that aren't claiming to be Christians do wonderful things. And there's wonderful charities that don't do anything in the name of, of, of being a Christian or Christianity that do wonderful things. But the reason they say this and the reason that Paul says this is because in Romans chapter 14, 23, it says that whatever does not come from faith in Jesus is sin. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. We were darkness. And Paul has been building this, and the Bible has built this picture from the beginning all the way through to the end, that outside of Christ, our life is darkness. And we often try and explain this away by playing the comparison game. And what I mean by that is that we look at people um, around us and we go, okay, well, I'm not like them. At least I don't say that, at least I don't do that, at least I don't parent like that, or at least I don't kind of do the things that they do or watch what they watch or say what they say or post what they post on Facebook or any social media. And by doing so, what we do is we make ourselves feel better about our own moral situation and go, it's okay because I'm better than them. So I'm, I'm doing better, okay? If the scales were tipping and it was me versus them, I'd be tipping up, not down in that equation. But there's a couple of problems with that game that we play in making ourselves feel better and making ourselves feel more moral. And the first thing is that it's just not the way that God works. That God isn't in heaven mapping out some giant cosmic comparison chart, constantly adjusting figures and numbers and putting people above one another depending on what they're doing or saying. There's a, um, there's a TV show that me and Hannah are watching at the moment on Netflix called The Good Place. And this, it's a really funny TV show, and the whole concept around it is that you get to the good place, which is the idea of heaven, but it's not you know, the Christian view of heaven, by amassing points. And every action or word that you do has points or deducts points. And basically, you get to the good place or you go to the bad place, depending on how many points you have in the system. And they have this whole way of mapping it out. And that's just not the way that the Bible talks about God. And actually, in reality, it's not the way that we would want God to be. It's not the way that we would want it to be. And so God has always spoken about, you're either holy like him, or you're unholy. 
You're either righteous or unrighteous. You're either clean or unclean. You're either pure or unpure. You're either darkness or you're light. That God doesn't have an area in the middle where people, where you know, the scales can tip either way. He says you are or you aren't. You were, but you now are. And the second reason why that doesn't really work is because of us. And the reason, I, the reason I say that is because, have you ever thought that at some point in your life, you've been the reason why someone else feels better about themselves? You ever thought about that? That at some point in your life, someone has looked at you and gone, at least I'm not like them. At least I don't say what they say, or do what they do, or think what they think, or act what they act, whether right or wrong, whether justified or not, that we are the reason for other people feeling better about themselves. And sometimes, if we're perfectly honest, we're probably doing it at the same time as them. So we're simultaneously just going, at least I'm not like you. And what that does is it makes this real problem where, who's right? If this is the way that it works, if there's this giant comparison chart, how, who's right? At what point is there right and they're wrong? And God says, no, you are either darkness or light. There is no middle ground, there's no chart, there's no scales. But thankfully, that's not Paul's point. Paul just starts there and helps us and reminds us of what we're, where we were. Because he says this point, where he says, but now you are light. Those two words should be two of the most comforting words that we could hear. Those should be the two words that we rejoice in the most. We were, but now. But now. But now because of what God has done, the very nature and fabric of who we are has changed, that our heart has been illuminated, and that we are different. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For God, who said, Let shine, light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That God who spoke creation into being by saying that light shine in this dark void has said to us in our hearts, let light shine and we see God in his glory in Jesus. We see God in who he is in Jesus and our hearts are shining. So how do we get there? How do we go from darkness to light by this action of believing in Jesus? How did it work? Well, I'm glad you're asking Because it says in verse 8, but now we are light in the Lord. Which is what this whole series is about. We are light because we are joined with Jesus. That we are united to him. That there is an inextricable and eternal link that can never be separated between us and Jesus when we come and just put our faith in him. We are light because we are joined with the one who himself is light. 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. John chapter 1, verses 4 to 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am, a lo- I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We are light. It's not that we reflect light. We are not a mirror. It's not that all of a sudden we've seen something and are able to reflect something of God back into the world. That we ourselves become light. We are, we are like a light bulb. Okay? 
We may never shine with the kind of radiance and, and light of the sun, but we ourselves are light because we get our light from the source of all light. The very nature, the very fabric, who we are has changed from the inside out. We are completely different. And the reason why Paul says we need to know this is because when we know this, it's going to change how we act. It's going to change how we live. It's going to change what we do. It's going to change how we feel. It will change everything when we know who we are in Jesus, that we are light. Not partially, not a little bit, not sometimes. We are light, always and forever, because we are united in Jesus. So then how do we be who we are? How do we be who we are? How does this work out? Well, Paul says it looks like a few things. And the first thing that it looks like is this, that when we know who we are, we will produce fruit. Okay? So in verses 8 to 9, Paul says, Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. So that we, as we live our lives as people who are children of light, that we will be reproducing what is in us and we will be producing fruit. And the easiest way to explain this is actually by looking at a fruit tree, okay? Because it is in itself an analogy. And so Jesus has this bit in John chapter 15 where if you look at the picture, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, if you come to me, if you stay in me, if you stay connected into me, you will produce fruit. So if Jesus is the strong bit, the bit where the source of life is, and we are the bit that is kind of coming down, that as we stay connected into him, we will produce fruit. That it is an inevitability of being in Jesus, of being connected into Jesus. And this is a process over a long period of time that as we keep coming to him as the source of all life, as the source of our hope, as the source of our joy, as the source of our strength, as day in, day out, we keep coming to him over a long period of time, over our lives, our whole lives, that more and more we will start to act in a way that is good. And more and more we will start to speak in a way that is right. And more and more we will start to think in a way that is true that we'll be producing this fruit not because of anything that we're doing and in and of itself, but because we're connected to the source of the one who's going to help us to do that. You'll be reproducing what God has already done in you. And again, this, this seems like a common sense point. We would, this is something that we would know, isn't it? We would expect something that is, is healthy and alive to produce fruit. We'd expect a... Um, a branch that is connected into a vine to produce grapes or to produce fruit. And if it wasn't, then you'd think, what's, there's something not going on with that connection. It's a natural thing that we kind of think about, or know at least. The second thing that, that Paul says is that the fruit of why we do that stuff, the motivation behind it all, is to do what is pleasing to God. He says, doesn't he, in, in verse, let me find it. Verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And the reason for that is because we're grateful. It's as simple as that, that if this is what God has done, if we have gone from darkness to light, if everything about us has changed as we put our faith and hope in Jesus, if that is who we are, then what we do should be overflowing with gratitude for who we are and what we have done. 
that we want to be making much of the name of Jesus, lifting high the name of Jesus, seeking to do what pleases him, what delights him. Not because we have to, because if we don't, we're outside of him, or he'll get angry, or he'll you know, take away the stuff that he's given us. That's not why we do it. That's when you are forgiven in Christ, that's an eternal thing. It is by, because we are grateful, our hearts are overflowing in the fact that we are changed. And as a result, everything we, we do is to got that motivation of, God, this is pleasing to you. Does you delight in this? Is this going to bring you glory? How can I do that more? What does that look like more in my life, in this situation or that situation with this person or that person? How does that work? And it's the motivation of those who have come from darkness to light. And finally, Paul says that when we know who we are, when we know that we are light, that we will no longer take part in the fruitless deeds of darkness. This is verse 11. And by this, what Paul means is sin. Okay? By this, what Paul means is sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6 says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And 2 Corinthians 4, 6 puts it like this. Light has no fellowship with darkness. And the point that I need to make is this, that, that Christians still do sin. Christians still mess up. They still do things that are not pleasing to God and not glorifying to God. That that is true. And that's why God gives repentance, so that as we, we realize that we've messed up and we've done wrong, that we've not got to try and hide it or we then run away from God, but that we come to him and go, God, I know that was against you. I'm sorry. Help me to live a life that is pleasing to you. And because of Jesus, because we are in him, because we are no longer darkness but light, we have total forgiveness. We have total forgiveness. But what Paul is talking about here is, peop- is about people willingly and consistently having thoughts, conversations, or finding themselves in situations where we know this is wrong, we know this is sinful, we know this is not glorifying to God, and yet we do it anyway. We know it's contrary to being light, and yet we do it anyway. It's a conscious, willing action. And the point is that that's not who we are anymore. We're not darkness. Why would we do the things of darkness? That we have become light. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. God's grace isn't cheap. It cost him everything. It cost him his son. And as a result of that, we, we, we flee from the deeds of darkness. We don't willingly and willfully go into the situations and things that are not glorifying to God because we are grateful Because we know that we are different. We know that we are changed. And if you are here today as a Christian and you know that you are willingly, consistently, and perhaps even gladly, regularly going into situations, regularly having conversations, regularly having thoughts that are not glorified to Jesus, and yet you do them anyway, then you need to repent. And you need to turn to God. And you need to know that as you do so, that you are coming back to a relationship with God. Full access. No distance between you and him. All the truths that we've been talking about, which are true of you, remain true because you are light. Because of what Jesus has done. And finally, Paul talks about how light affects those around us. And we get the metaphor, don't we? In terms of light and dark. We get it because we see it every day. We see it when the, the sun goes down and the sun comes up. We see it when the lights go on and the lights go off. We, we get the imagery. We, we get it. 
And as a result, you would expect that if people were light, knew that they were, were living as light, then there would be an effect, right? There'd be a change. When you put the light switch on, light comes, darkness leaves. When the sun comes up, shadows go as the sun comes up. Actually, we, we get that as an imagery, and so we'd expect it if, that if we have been radically changed from darkness to light, and we live like that, then it would look like something to those around us. It would look like something to people, to those around us. And Paul says it looks like two things. It exposes darkness, and it makes things visible. So what does that mean? What does it mean that when you live like this, that you expose darkness and you make things visible? When Paul is talking about exposing, he's, he's not talking about what kind of immediately comes to our mind. When we think about exposing stuff, we think about kind of dragging people's names into the you know, light, what they've done, you know, getting justice, putting them down. You know, that's, what it, that's what it feels like, especially today. You know, when, you, when you read that there's going to be, you know, someone's going to be exposed in an action, you know, either a celebrity or a politician or something, you're like, you know full well that they're going to come out of the end of that broken because they've just been, everything that they could possibly have done wrong has been exposed, it's been brought out into the light. And we could call that justice, but in the reality, it's just mean. There's no justice, there's no kind of someone coming out at the end of that healed, or restored, or changed. They're just broken. And that's not what God is saying, that's not what happens by being exposed. Because Christians never come to a place when treating others, or should never come to a place when treating others, from a place of superiority. And the reason why we should never do that is because we are saved by grace. We didn't do lots of good stuff and God went, okay, you've now reached the goodness level you're in. We didn't come and, and go, hey God, like, have you seen what I've done lately? You know, I think you should change your mind or I think, I think I should earn a place here. We never came to God like that. We came to God by grace that God's opened our eyes to see him and all we have added into that is we just believed and because we believed we're changed completely, that there's nothing that we've added to that. So when we talk about being light and exposing darkness, we don't do it by having a moral superiority over people and going, you should be like me, because how much better am I? You say, come to Jesus, because how much better is he and life in him? And people should look to us and see that our lives are different and should see that Jesus is better by how we live, by how we interact, by how we treat people. And it also means that we will refuse to participate in the things of darkness. And that as we do so, the nature of that thing will be made known. So when we refuse to gossip or slander a co-worker or a boss or a school friend, when we refuse to do that, when we refuse to get involved in putting them down or the snarky comments or the WhatsApp conversations behind their back, when we refuse to get involved in that, we expose that that is wrong. We expose that and we bring it into the light. Men, when you refuse to objectify women, when you're around other men, or through watching pornography, or through how people view women around you, when you refuse to do that, when you refuse to engage in that evil, you expose it. You bring into light that which is darkness. And when you go to a person who's wronged you, forgiving them, and asking if there's anything that you can do to help, and if they're okay, you show light. You take it out of darkness. I heard a story recently of um, a guy called uh, Carl Beach. Um, he runs a charity called Christian Vision for Men. 
And he said that he had a, he's on the road a lot, and he had a phone call from his wife one day in tears because his next-door neighbor, who was quite a grumpy individual, had gone around and absolutely just attacked her verbally because some flowers were hanging over his fence. And interestingly, the guy who runs Christian Vision for Men and is this big, burly guy from Essex is the one who grows the flowers on the side of his house. So he knew there was definitely no overhanging flowers. And so as he's on his way home, he's thinking, right, I'm going to get home, I'm going to get through the door, I'm going to put down my bags, and then me and this guy are going to have a bit of a conversation. And I know how the conversation is going to go. And so as he gets through the door, he puts down his bags, he says hello to his wife, he said, right, I'm going around next door. As he goes to step out the door, he feels like God said, is this the way that a son of God acts? And he went, no. And so he turns to his wife and he said, you got any cake? She went, what do you mean? You, know, you got any cake in the house? She goes, yeah, but they're only, we've, all we've got left are your favorite cakes. And he's like, all right, give them here. And so he goes around to the, to the guy's house. He knocks on the guy's door. And he says, you all right, mate? You just seemed like, you know, you came around and you chatted, you chatted with you know, my wife and that was a bit heated, like, are you all right? And the guy just turned around and went, no, I've had the worst year of my life. I'm in an awful position. He went, can I come in? Let's just chat. Have a conversation. Now, we would, we would think that him going around to his mate's house, like to his neighbor's house, and having a go at him for what he said would be right, it would be justice, because hey, the guy was in the wrong. But actually, by forgiving that guy, by coming around and just seeing who God is in, in his life and letting that affect that guy, that, that guy was encouraged, that guy was changed, and that relationship is repaired. It's not broken in a different way. And as we do these things, living out and being who we are in Christ, then God will graciously use us to reveal light to others. You know, I've heard a couple of stories recently, um, this year actually, of, of this has been people's testimonies about how they've become Christians. That as they've been in, in worship or listening to a talk or, or listening to someone else, that what's happened is they've, they've had this image of them being in, in darkness or in the cold and being brought into light and into warmth. And there was one of these, these guys that I was chatting to, and he's got, he's got no background in church, okay? He's never read the Bible. He's got no understanding of, of this kind of imagery that we would see as really common. And so God is doing this all the time. And that as we shine and as we alight, that we bring that into that place, and we, we see God doing it again and again and again. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16 says this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that you may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you see that? We read in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And Matthew chapter 5, he says, you are the light of the world. That as we are united in Christ, that we become his light to the world, to the people around us. That that is what he has done. As you live your life in fellowship with Jesus, just living out what he's done for you, bringing you from darkness to light, then that life lived will be used to unite others in Christ so that they too become light in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are light and in you is no darkness at all. Lord, we're so grateful that, Lord, that you, Lord, offer this freely. You offer this, Lord, by grace, not through us trying to earn stuff or get stuff right or, or have everything together in our minds, but just coming to you in faith, 
and that you do the rest, that we become united to you forever, eternally, that can never be separated. Lord, help us to know this truth and help us to live in light of this truth that we would glorify you out of gratitude in our hearts for what you have done. Lord, we know and we accept the truth that we are the light of the world. Lord, help us to be who we are and to shine into the lives of the people around us. In your name, amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.